Hey, top fans, it's Bill from Top Fan Rivalry here with my co-host for the Decade Series, uh, Jackson. Jackson, thanks for being on today again. Yeah. And and we brought a guest in the house. We brought Brian back. And you know Brian from uh, other podcasts that we've done. Our first initial podcast was with Brian, which was still to date the most downloaded podcast that we've had so far. That's so, awesome. Brian, thanks for coming in. Glad to be back. Hey, today we're going to talk something a little different today, though we're going to going through the decade series. Jackson and I are going through the decade series. We asked Brian to come in because um, he's a baseball guru like us. And we're going to kind of slide out of the decades and go into a bonus program. Uh, and that bonus is going to be the 1919 uh, World Series, which is commonly known as as the Black Sox scandal. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to go through a few things uh, before we do. Um, a couple of things. One, uh, as you're listening to this, feel free to go on the website. If you'd like to purchase a top fan hat, please, by all means, do so. You can enter the discount code of Jackson and or throw. Um, either one of those will get you a 10% discount um, on the site. They're Jackson, you still love your hat, right? Yeah. I mean, I've I seen wear you wearing it right now. Brian's, Brian's <laughs> just coming. So. By all means, uh, do that. Enter either one of those two discount codes. And also, if you haven't done this yet, we put a lot of YouTube videos up. Go and subscribe to YouTube and or um, go to our face or our uh, Facebook page and like us and or our Twitter or Instagram. Okay, so that's top fan stuff. So now let's get into the questions. So we've got a World Series in 1919. What happened? What happened? Uh, it was fixed. <laughs> okay. Jackson, do tell. Uh, I mean, if if you've ever read the book or seen the movie or heard of the either one, Eight Men Out, basically the nineteen nineteen World Series. Well, there were rumblings. We'll we'll do a little preface. A little historical study shows that the league investigated potential uh, World Series fixes in several years prior, including. 1970 before 1919 it looks like the gamblers finally found someone to do it uh, <laughs> but um that the, the players contacted the gamblers which is uh interesting because you you would think the gamblers contacted the players but but yeah <laughs> so they offered to throw the world series because they'd already won the pennant by late july early august and they were looking to make some extra cash and i mean it it takes you for a ride <laughs> some of the stuff yeah. you read, but we'll just start with that. <laughs> Brian, do you have anything to add to it on the historical side? The historical side, I want to say, like, I know we're going to get to it, but it all starts and it kind of coincides with what's happening right now with the CBA is it was the owner, Charles Comiskey was hated by all the players. He underpaid them. They weren't getting the same amount of money as other players around the league were at the time. At the time, also, there weren't that many teams, but in the end, like, the clubhouse was divided, and it was all thanks to Charles Comiskey. Yeah. Yeah, so I was doing some research on it, too, and what was interesting about that clubhouse divided, Brian, was, so there's two schools of thought. The the Black Sox, as they were, um, you know, kind of nicknamed, one school of thought says it's because they threw the 1919 World Series. The other school of thought says that, speaking of Charles Kaminsky, that he would not pay for their to launder their uniforms. So the players 
would not wash their uniforms for several days and they wouldn't come out white. They would come out, you know, grungy and, and kind of black looking that their uniforms. Um, and then finally he got tired of that. And so he started having them laundered, but then he took it out of their salary. <laughs> so, I mean, great owner, right? So from a historical setting, the 1919, as Jackson says, the 1919 World Series was fixed from the get-go. Um, it had the Cincinnati Reds versus the Chicago White Sox. Uh, it was one in eight games. Back then, it was the, the first person to get to five wins. So technically a best of nine. Um, and the league changed that shortly thereafter this series so that you didn't have the ability to throw series anymore, have pitchers pitch in three games. Um, and we'll talk about uh, about some of those pitchers, um, I'm sure, here in a second. But uh, the Reds won five games. Uh, the White Sox won three. And what's interesting is if you look at the numbers of the games that the Reds won, um, they weren't even close, right? Uh, and so we'll get to that. But, it, I mean, the first one, for example, that where the fix was in, right, the, the Reds won nine to one, okay? Uh, the starting pitcher in that game, and, and we'll talk about that, was was Eddie uh, Collette, right? And what did he do? The very first pitch of the game, what did he do? He hit, he hit a batter. He hit the batter, which told the gamblers we're in, right? The players so, involved, too. Exactly, the players involved. Okay, so now let's go through it a little bit. How many players were uh, How many players were involved? Well, eight, eight were banned for life um, who were actually involved, you could argue, yeah. uh, anywhere between six and eight. Yeah. They, I mean, by, all the players banned were guilty by association, at, at least. Yeah. So, Or not saying something when they yeah. do something. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about two of the players uh, here in a bit, and Shoeless Joe Jackson and, and Buck Weaver. Um like you say, guilty by association for not saying something. But, I mean, both Buck and uh, and Joe had great, you know, great World Series. And so they obviously weren't participating. But, um, but yeah, so eight players are banned for, for life. Um, and that, you know, that still holds up today. Jackson, can you take us through a little bit of kind of where the, the suspensions came from, who issued them? Uh, everyone's everyone's favorite baseball commission commissioner and a former federal judge, uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis. He was in charge of the investigation and he basically went with a no. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like no leniency policy. He he cracked down on the league hard. He suspended and banned a lot of players for other gambling things, not just the the Black Sox scandals in general. Um and this is an interesting, I forgot to put this in my historical preface and I remembered it, but it's an interesting time because uh, the world had just gotten out of World War One, and baseball is becoming increasingly popular in the U.S. And this was kind of swept under the rug at the, t- at the time because of, aside from the hardcore baseball fans who'd been following it for the last 20 years, people didn't really know that kind of thing was in the sport to a federal court and then see a new base a baseball commissioner get added as a position in him start handing out suspensions and bans um and it, it's a thing that kind of got swept under the rug because you know the next year Babe Ruth hit 59 home runs and all of a sudden baseball was great again so everyone completely <laughs> forgot about what happened the year before yes yes well 
well, uh, this commissioner that we're speaking of is not one person that I want to want to be on the opposite end of on anything. Um, he seemed to know how to get things done. And what was interesting is I was studying for this, this podcast. Um, what I found interesting was some of the players after they were banned, after they were suspended a man for life, they tried to get together and play like practice games with other teams. And every team that was um, asked to be a part of it was told, if you're a part of this, you're going to be banned for life as well. So then what these, these, some of these players did, there was arguments between four and six of these players, but what these four or six players did was then went and said, Hey, we're just going to show up at a park on Sunday afternoons and you guys just sit there and, and come on in fans. We'll sign autographs, whatever. But hey, whoever wants to play us, we'll be at this park and whatever. And the city council of Chicago said, no, you won't. Anybody that hosts any of those people at any of uh, the public parks, you'll get your permits pulled from that park. So the city council even said, so I got to assume that that um, Judge Landers had a lot to do with that. I'm sure, <laughs> I mean, you know, Chicago city council is not exactly known for being the most upright anyways. Sorry for those of you in Chicago listening to this, but I mean, let's be honest, but the judge, you know, laid it down, right? He's also, if you look at pictures at Tennessee Mountain Landis, he's he's a frightening guy. Yes, yes, he's crazy. And what I found interesting about, and this is a side note, but I found interesting about, I looked up players that have been banned for life, right? I mean, the obvious one is, is the hits leader, Pete Rose. Um, but did you boys know that both Mickey Mantle and um, Willie Mays were both banned for life in the 80s? Oh. No. So in 1980 and in 1983, both of them were banned for life for um, coordinating autograph sessions at casinos. The MLB was so absolutely venomous about players not being attached to casinos and all they were doing was autograph sessions, right? They were retired and Mantle and Maris. Those are names that are iconic when you think of baseball. Right. And I want to say that uh, either Peter Ubaroff or Faye Vincent overturned it, but it was, it was interesting when I was reading about it. I'm like, I didn't know that Mantle, like literally they were banned for life. And for a couple of years, both of them, what are you going to do? Take down their plaques at the hall? <laughs> yeah, honestly, well, I wouldn't put it past them on me to do that back then or even now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's let's get to kind of so we know that there's eight players accused, right? We know what, what the history is, 1919. So let's talk about two of the guys that didn't participate but got accused um and have banned for been banned for life. So let's talk about Buck Weaver. Let's talk about Shoeless Joe Jackson. Obviously, Shoeless Joe Jackson has been portrayed in a number of different movies. Buck Weaver, not as much, except for the Eight Men Out movie in the eighties. Um, but let's talk about that for a second. I mean, what do you what do you fellows think about this? Here, I, I'm going to read some stats. So, Shoeless Joe Jackson hit 375, um, was five for 12 with uh, runners in scoring position, had three doubles, um, and had six RBIs. Buck Weaver um, went, hit 324. One for five with men in scoring position, four doubles, one triple. What do you guys think? Brian, what do you think? Those aren't the stats of people trying to throw you. Uh, when you look at that, in an, in an eight-game or nine-game series, 
you know, they played they played eight because the Reds got to five first. Julius Joe had 12 hits. <laughs> and one was a homer. And homers weren't huge back then. He still had a home run and he drove in six. Like, that's not those aren't the stats of someone trying to throw a game. Someone trying to throw a game is oh, I'm one for one for 15 or oh for 12 with six K's just barely trying dogging it to first. Like like you said with Buck Weaver, he had he had four doubles. Yeah. Four doubles, one triple. Chulis Cho had three doubles, no triples, but a homer. Yeah. 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 And he had 12 building stats in that World Series at all. But from from my understanding, from just their offense alone, in the eight games, those guys, every at bat, they saw their pitches and they hit their pitches. Yeah, yeah, no, he, both those guys. What do you think, Jackson? Uh, I mean, I believe the 12 hits at a time is a record. I'm double checking it, you know, as the stats guys, and I'm doing my due diligence, but 12 hits in the World Series is a lot. Um, if that happened nowadays, you know, the guy would be talked about for until the start of the next season of how great of a performance that would be. 12 hits in any seven game series, even if he did play eight games, is fairly impressive. Um, and me, Buck Weaver was only guilty of you know sitting in a meeting on no, this isn't for me, <laughs> and then going out and playing hard, yeah. playing to win. Yeah, and rumor has it that that Buck kind of bumped into the meeting. It wasn't something that that he was seeking after. They were seeking him. Um, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. As Jackson's looking up stats, I so. It's painfully obvious. So, like, when you're talking about Lefty Williams, who's one of the uh, White Sox pitchers, he was 0-3 uh, with, like, a 6-point-something ERA. Um, Eddie yeah. Collette was 1-2 and two as a pitcher. Though it was obvious what they were doing. But these guys, Weaver and Shoeless Joe Jackson, they played their hearts out. And can you imagine yeah. for a second, can you imagine for a second that you're one of those two boys in that locker room when – You've got six other guys around here that are making money off this fix, and you are one of the guys that's screwing up the fix. <laughs> like Jackson said, 12 hits in October in, in the fall classic is a feat in and of itself, even in eight games. I mean, I got it um, right here. He, he Buck Herzog, uh, Marquise Grissom, Billy Martin, Paul Molitor, Roberto Alomar are the only – like six players with 12 hit specific and then only three players have done 13 in seven games that's marty barrett lou brock and bobby richardson so i mean yeah it's crazy yeah. it's it's insane numbers it's in yeah what's that brian the thing that sticks out to me the most about like uh with eddie seacott like he like was the main guy in this pitched you know the next year in uh what's it called in the 1920 but in in 1919 the guy went 29 and 7 <laughs> with the 1.82 ERA and 30 complete games yeah none of his 29 yeah. wins he threw a complete game 30 times and he got the loss in all of them he yeah threw over 300 innings and like and then the fact of like his world series like he threw it and it's like man like he pit, and his numbers aren't even bad in in the World Series. You went one and two with a two point nine one ERA. 
But like well, the fact that they only won 88 games that year, went to the World Series, and he won 29 of those 88 games. <laughs> well, and take that to take that to the modern era where we're at, right? Yeah. So Clayton Kershaw looks fantastic in 17. And then all of a sudden he looks fantastic at Dodger Stadium, but he gets lit up in Houston and nobody can kind of figure it out. Well, later on, we find out that, you know, they're banging trash cans and stuff like that. But he didn't look that bad in game one when he pitched, but he did in game five when they were in Houston. Right. And so or game four, whichever one he pitched. But it was it kind of like if it doesn't pass the smell test, right? And then, like you said, you know, Eddie Collette, he wins 29 games and then goes one and two with close to a five earned run average in the World Series. Don't tell me it's nerves because you've been lights out. I mean, if the guy were 13 and 13 with a four ERA, you would look at it and go, okay, he just got nervous, right? But when you're looking at 29 wins, eh, right? Jackson, you look like you're looking up some stats there. What you got for me? Well, I, I just had a funny thought. So, something I read is uh, he threw the first game so bad that when uh, – what was his name? Uh, Claude Williams came out through game two, and they got shut out 3-0, to zero and he didn't throw it as hard. He just kind of crumbled in key moments but held the game together for the most part. The next time he pitched, he's like, oh, I got to make it look less obvious. But by then, everyone was already on to him. <laughs> Yeah, you know yeah. that's how the story goes. Um, one of the unsung heroes of the series, someone who didn't throw the series. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Uh, I think Dickie Kerr deserves deserves a person in the, in the clubhouse. The conspirators allegedly hated him. They strongly disliked him, um, but they still backed him up in Game Three because they hadn't been paid all their money yet. Yeah. Dickie yeah. threw a shit out in game three and he won game six. He won two out of the three games for the White Sox in that World Series. Pitched 19 innings, only allowed 14 hits, three earned runs, six strikeouts, three base on balls. Like he had, I mean, yeah, he was another one of those guys where you're kind of looking at and going, dude, we got to worry about this guy because if this guy pitches every day, this is not going to be good for us. Yeah. In the game, the game six when they won extra innings, he he threw the 10 innings well and and you gotta you know so chick grandel is the one that is credited with kind of being the author of this fix on the team you gotta wonder what type of, of personality this was for him to think and you you might and this is gonna be a bold statement but you might put a little bit of it at charles Comiskey's feet right because what are the gamblers offering this boys? Cash, right? And if Comiskey's paying them well, cash isn't an option. They don't care, right? But he's offering them cash. And so you got to wonder what Chick was thinking. You got to wonder what, you know, if that had to do with Charles Comiskey. So anyways, um, thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I, I read a article by a baseball historian that said they were actually paid a lot better than it was. It wasn't until the, the original book eight men out came out that, uh, it was Comiskey was really accused of, you know, underpaying them. And it was more of a, you know, a, a noble throw per se. Um, but I mean, still, 
if your if your players are throwing the World Series for money, something's wrong with how you're paying yeah, them and some, what's going on. Not even some like not even with pay, but something's wrong in regards to just the overall well-being in the clubhouse and on the field and their treatment. Um, I mean, it all started with money. That's why they they did it. They wanted the money, but in the end, it was they had to do all their own stuff, like their laundry. They had to do everything. And, yeah. Um, I mean, times were different in 1919, but in the end, like being relied on to do all that stuff and just having an owner that doesn't care about you is, can make you anyone do anything. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing that we've seen in modern sports with some of the owners that they have out there. Professional football, hockey, even, you know, Tampa Bay's ownership trying to split the season between two cities. I'm surprised the players haven't revolted there. It's like it's bad enough that you have to play in Tampa, Florida. At least it's in Florida, but like they want you to spend half your season up in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Surprised they haven't rebelled there, but the, the whole scandal is just, it was a big black eye for baseball. And I mean, just like the most recent black eye we've had with the, the strike in 94, it was rescued by the home run ball, which we'll talk about more in our, in our 1920s decades video. That's really when the home run ball in baseball really kind of exploded into the national pastime we know and love. But this is kind of like the, the key event that shaped baseball into what it is today. Okay, so final question, boys, on this one. Okay. Reinstatements, both Buck Weaver and Shoeless Joe Jackson's families have been all over reinstatements for years. I mean, most recently I read that a granddaughter of, I think, Shoeless Joe or, or, or Buck Weaver was still trying to commission or petition uh, the commissioners off. Okay. Again, we talked, these boys, they didn't do this, right? They knew about it and they probably should have blown the whistle. But, you know, when you're dealing with gamblers, hey, maybe your life is threatened or something. Who knows, right? But um, should they be reinstated? What do you think, Jackson? Um, from my understanding, I know that Major League Baseball tends to reinstate most people after their deaths. Uh, I think they've made an exception for Weaver and Shoeless Joe Jackson, which is the really interesting thing because of the controversy surrounding the Black Sox scandal. It, I guess the idea is they just don't want them in the Hall of Fame. But whether they like it or not, there's a whole wing in the Hall of Fame probably dedicated to this this one event so you might as well reinstate him and give shoeless joe his hall of fame plaque because he was a hall of fame player the, the numbers don't lie the guy say what you want about the integrity of mixing yourself in with gamblers um the fact that he did so well in that world series is is proof enough that he had integrity enough <laughs> to actually play it out and try to win or lose on his own terms which is Hall of Fame worthy for me. What do you think, Brian? I have to agree with Jackson. I, it's Hall of Fame worthy. He, he meets all the criteria. He played 13 seasons. His stats are unbelievable. Like I'm looking at it right now. And 356 batting average or 1,700 hits. I mean, it wasn't home run era, but like still at 54 homers. And his last year, 1920, he hit 12 and drove in 121. And just like Jackson said, the numbers in the World Series proved that he wasn't trying to throw it, um, which is re it's really sad about MLB is, you know, we're a day off from the, the Hall of Fame announcement. Uh, congrats to David Ortiz. 
but um some of these guys do belong there and like we can talk we're going to talk about that episodes from now about the 90s and the early 2000s but with guys like that i this is old it was a long time ago there's been other um brains of commissioners like we don't always have to do what the guy from 1920 and the guy from 2020 does you don't you can change it because no one's going to stop you all those guys are gone yeah and that's yeah. that's what my dad always says about pete rose is pete rose is going to get in the hall of fame after he dies and it's going to be really sad that he's not going to be there to do it and you know shoeless joe has been gone since 1951 is when he passed so <laughs> almost what 70 and seven on oh, the 72 years this year yeah 71 years so it yeah yeah a whole lifetime it, it sucks because yeah his numbers his numbers they're not of one who um didn't try i can tell you that agreed agreed i i'm with both of you boys i was reading some of the stuff that that weaver's family had put out and i was it was heart-wrenching Right. I mean, both of these guys didn't do this yet. They're guilty. Like Jackson said earlier, guilty by association. Right. And I, I have to think that if I were in that room, but way back then with these crazy gamblers that are, are scary people. Right. And I was offered this and I didn't take it. Um, I'd be scared. I'd be like, Hey, uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Uh, 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 I'm not going to rat you guys out, but I'm not going to do it. You know, I don't want any money, but I'm not going to rat you guys out. So, I mean, it's, it's understandable from that perspective, but I honestly, I think both Weaver and, um, and Shoeless Joe need to be reinstated. Shoeless Joe at least get into Hall of Fame. Um, I almost want to put Buck Weaver in the Hall of Fame, even though he might not have had the numbers, but just for what he had to endure all these years, right? Kind of as a baseball showing penance, but we know that that won't happen. <laughs> so, so, anyways, um, let's reinstate these boys. Let's get these boys back. In. So, all right, we're going to do a, a, a quick uh, 30 second wrap up, each one of us. Brian, any other thoughts as we, we wrap this up? And then, Jackson, you'll go next. Is it about what we just talked about or baseball right now? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole nother podcast, but <laughs> let's yeah. talk about where we're at right now. I mean, where are we yeah, just been I, talking about? Yeah, I think with uh, the 1919 scandal, um, it's talked about in history. And um, in the end, like, it's going back to the Hall of Fame. It's, it's a museum, and I know it's probably in there. You know, it's been a long time since I've been but it's probably in there just to showcase what happened. But those guys belong in. Um, they deserve to have their plaque there um, because their numbers, you don't go in for your postseason numbers a lot of the time. You go in for your regular season numbers. But guys like Shoeless Joe, he had both. Um, and I think uh, it just goes to show just um, the criteria it is to get into the Hall of Fame. It's mainly character and what you did so long ago over 100 years ago and baseball writers baseball commissioners they still don't care it could be 100 plus years and they'll still be like nope man yeah yeah jackson i mean it it seems the same as we see nowadays where you know players that have done questionable things or said questionable things they get punished by the media for 
going from media sweethearts to being unpopular per se. Um, an example, I, I can, we can parallel it to guys like Jeff Kent, who isn't very well liked by the media, but you could argue that he has a Hall of Fame case. Players like Jeff Kent. You could argue that Barry Bonds should have got voted in his last year. I personally don't like Barry Bonds, but he was a Hall of Famer before steroids. I personally wouldn't vote for him. But it's it's the stigma. It's the old school mentality of baseball has stuck around since the 1920s. Um, I think that's one of the things the game has been trying to get better at, which is, you know, let the game adapt and evolve because it's, it's a children's game. It's meant to be fun. We don't need to be crotchety old men about it. But just the game let, that we let all... Shoeless Joe in, let Pete Rose in, and then, you know what, one day we'll, maybe we'll let Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's a game that we all wish that we could play for money. But I, boys, this has been so fun. I agree with you. I shoeless Joe needs to be in. Some of the stuff about Buck Weaver, it's so sad. It's so sad, right? And this, this wasn't on him. But I'm. This has been a fun podcast for those of you top fan rivalry fans out there that are listening to this. Um, this is fun. If you're a baseball historian, this is a lot of fun. There's tons of stuff that you can you can see and or watch about this scandal. So go ahead and take a look at it. I mean, Jackson, and you can follow Jackson on Instagram at, at top fan stat guy or stats guy. You can follow Brian at cap nine um, on Instagram or obviously top fan rivalry. Uh, but, you know, this is fun topics and we're enjoying going through the decades with you. So stay tuned. We've got uh, 1920 to the 19 or 1921 to 1930 coming up here soon. Um, and that, you know, I'm sure Jackson will be talking about Murder's Row during that one, right? The 1927 Yankees. And I'm I mean, sure they, George Herman Ruth might come in and Lou Gehrig. I mean, Babe Ruth might make the list. He, he, he was pretty okay during the 20s. <laughs> and, and Brian, you'll be back in with us here soon on some more decades. So thank you boys for yeah, doing this. And uh, for you top fans, again, go to the site, buy a hat, use discount code Jackson or use discount code Throw. Okay, those have specific meanings to um, to top fan or go on to the uh, YouTube channel and subscribe. Believe it or not, there's 80 some odd videos out there. We only got 43 subscribers. So make yourself the 44th or the 45th. Right. All right. So thanks for the top 2000. Fans. Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> Why not? We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much.